Hey there, welcome to the first supplemental lecture for interpersonal communication. Chapter one, our topic today, we're going to focus on an introduction to human communication, but more importantly, we're going to be looking at interpersonal communication in a little bit more detail. Now, this week in class, we'll discuss the meaning of communication and the types of human communication, so the various different communication contexts there. But today, for this particular supplement, we're going to look in further detail at interpersonal communication, since it is the topic of the class after all, what it means, why it's important, and various different facets of it, also what makes for a competent communicator. One quick note about this week in class, just a quick reminder that topic check number one, which is worth five points, is due by January 21st on D2L. That can be accessed either from the quizzes tab or from the content tab in this week's content module. It's five questions. You have 30 minutes to do it. It's probably going to take you less than that. It's open book, open note. Don't use the lockdown browser or anything like that for it. Just go in there, get your five questions answered. Grade should automatically pop up for that on D2L. And once again, the late policy does apply to this. So if you don't get it done by January 21st, it's in your best interest to get it done as soon as possible. And the assignment will expire two weeks after January 21st, which means it can no longer be made up for credit. So just a quick reminder of what we'll talk about in class this week. We talked about the various different contexts of human communication, intrapersonal, interpersonal, group, public, and mediated communication. But today, at least for this supplement, we're going to be talking about interpersonal communication. There will be times to talk about intrapersonal and group communication a little bit later on in the semester, group communication especially as it pertains to families, but today our focus is diving in a little more detail in terms of interpersonal communication. Now, why do we need to communicate with others? We didn't really answer this question during the course lecture or the first lecture of the semester, so really what it comes down to is mental and physical health. In specific, communicating about negative experiences. I'm sure we've all had friends, colleagues, whatever, who aren't that good about talking about negative experiences or talking about their feelings or talking about being sad or lonely or depressed. And the reality of it is when we do these things and we do them effectively, it improves outcomes associated with maybe stress, anxiety, or depression. And the book so goes so far as to note that it can even help out in terms of treatment of cancer or coronary conditions even down to the common cold. Now, I'm not going to go that far into it, but I will say that effective interpersonal communication in particular will assist in mental and physical health in the long run. It's important for us to talk about these things, not only talking about aspects about our health, but openly communicate to others. We are, after all, generally writ large social beings. Not everyone craves that interpersonal interaction, but most people do, and that's why it's important to effectively communicate with others. The other things that it can contribute to in terms of interpersonal communication are our identity, our social lives, and our practical senses. So as far as identity is concerned, when we communicate with others, it influences how we view ourselves. We'll talk about the concept of the looking glass self later on in the semester, but overall, our interactions with others are a major driver in how we shape our own personal identity and how we think about ourselves 
and how we fit in within society. Now, as far as the social aspect of things, it's important to communicate to establish and maintain relationships with others. And then there's the practical side of things. It's very difficult to function without communication. If you were a shut-in and maybe a homesteader, you could make it work. But generally speaking, we need to communicate with others. We need to communicate with others with our jobs, with school, with various other aspects of our lives. Think about driving a car, for example. If we don't communicate with others, we're putting ourselves and others in danger by doing things like not using our turn signals, making sure our brake lights work is also important because we don't, if we don't have brake lights, we can't communicate to them that we're on the brake. So all of these things are important. That's why it's also important that you're in this very class to talk about effective interpersonal communication practices. Now, what is interpersonal communication? Well, Bachner, researcher in 1989, released a definition where basically he said, at least two communicators, and they're intentionally orienting towards each other as both subject and object, and their actions embody each other's perspectives towards self and towards the other. Now, there are some limitations to this definition, and other communication scholars do push back against this. For example, he mentions intentionally orienting towards each other, and there's a big argument that you cannot not communicate, and therefore communication sometimes is very much unintentional. Even our interpersonal communication can be unintentional. Additionally, there's not a lot of room for context here. So as an example, embodying each other's perspectives towards self and towards the other might not be the case. Let's say one person is having a bad day. They're talking to someone they really care about, but they're just not having it that day that's not necessarily embodying their perspective towards the other person. So I think those are the limitations provided. But generally speaking, what I want you to remember regarding interpersonal communication is it's two people intentionally or unintentionally communicating and their feelings and attitudes towards one another impact this interpersonal communication. So that's what I want you to kind of take from this particular definition. Now we talked about, what about the intentionality of communication? Bachner said, it's gotta be intentional. Well, the reality of it is, as I say on this slide, if you're following along in a video format, if you're not and you're on the podcast platform, I'll try to explain it to you. We cannot not communicate. We're always communicating with others whether we intend to or not. Think about how many times in your life you've had a weird look on your face and someone calls you out for it. Again, not intending to communicate whatever it is the look on our face is communicating, but we did so anyway. Overall, we can accomplish unintentional communication through nonverbal and sometimes verbal communication. So think about body language, gestures, use of physical space between a person, facial expressions, or even how we pronounce words, they're all ways in which we can unintentionally communicate. Now, when we communicate with intentionality, as I have up here on the screen, it's when an individual purposefully intends to interact with another person, trying to establish some sort of shared meaning. For example, if I ask a friend of mine for a favor, I am intentionally communicating with them and sharing that meaning about what that favor is. This contributes to more effective communication when we do it intentionally. But also, a lot of our interpersonal communication, as we'll talk about throughout the course of the semester, it's unintentional and kind of goes against Bachner's definition. So I want you to be thinking about intentional versus unintentional 
as we move throughout the course of the semester. Now, that being said, there are four areas of interpersonal communication. The first area is the number of communication partners involved. In most cases, it's one. But in a group, you might have several interpersonal communication dynamics going. The second thing is the physical proximity of the communicators. How close are you? If it's a good friend, if it's a close relative, you might be a little bit closer physically to them. We'll talk about proxemics later on in the semester and how proxemics and things like haptics play into our communication tendencies. But the reality of it is if we're closer to someone, it generally means that we're closer to them also in a social sense. And this will affect how we communicate with them. The third thing is nature of the interaction units. Now this is a really scientific and kind of weird way to just say, what's your relationship with this other person? Are you really close to them? Are you not that close to them? Are you talking to a clerk at King Supers? Are you talking to a close friend? What's the nature there? What's the nature of the two people interacting? What's the backstory of all of that? And that helps also to inform the interpersonal communication. If you have a really short, intense dialogue with someone you don't know all that well, you probably just brush it off. If you have a really short, intense dialogue with someone you're really close friends with, you think about that a little bit more and you wonder if you maybe done something wrong. And then the fourth thing is the degree of formality and structure. We see this a lot in organizational communication. Are you talking to a boss? Are you talking to a coworker? Are you talking to someone who's working underneath you? What's the formality there? Can you be informal? Can you be formal? Are you formal in an informal situation? All of those things feed into an interpersonal communication interaction. And that's something that also we'll talk about throughout the course of the semester. How formal is an interaction and what's the structure like there? Also, our culture builds into the structure of the communication interaction as well as formality, of course. So all of those things, things we'll take a look at more in depth as the semester goes on. I do want to talk just very briefly about our interpretation of communicative meaning. How do we decide what someone is trying to tell us? Now, they might say, I'm fine, as an example, but maybe they're not fine. Maybe they say, I'm fine, and that's an indicator to you to perhaps dig a little bit deeper or maybe just to leave them alone. So that's an example of what we're looking at here. Well, there's a couple of different dimensions that we have to dig into when we determine what someone is actually trying to tell us. There's the relational dimension, which is the relationship with a communicator that influences how one interprets a message. So basically, the relational dimension is, how do you know this person? What's your relationship been like with them in the past? What's the context of this? And then there's the content dimension. The content dimension, the specific spoken words used to convey a message. So when you think about content, that's the actual thing. So if you go up towards a friend, they're having a bad day, you ask them how they're doing, and they say, I'm fine. Well, those are the specific spoken words. So if you take that at face value, you say, oh, okay, they're doing fine, great. The relational dimension part of it though, tells you that maybe they're not fine because they're typically a long-winded person. They just and answered with two words. So you want to dig a little bit deeper maybe or, or ask them if everything's truly all right. And if they answer, yes, I'm fine, you probably just leave them to stew, right? So that's the relational dimension of it. How are you related to that person? Not in terms of like, are you brother, sister, etc., 
but how are you related to that person in terms of friendship? How formal or informal are you typically with that person? And what's your relationship like outside the context of that one interaction? All right, so I mentioned it earlier, but culture has a big influence on our interpersonal communication. Our perceptions of the world around us, especially immediately around us, so our culture, they, that influences our beliefs, our values, our norms, our rules. Ultimately, our culture will impact our behaviors. And there are some cultures, for example, workplace cultures, that transcend maybe a geographic culture. We think of cultures a lot as geographically set or maybe racially set, but reality is all cultures are a little bit different. The culture in my classroom, as an example, will be the different from the culture in someone else's classroom. That's going to impact our behaviors and what we take out of our interpersonal interactions. As we talk about later in the semester, it's important for us to recognize how culture shapes both our outlook and the outlook of those around us and how everyone kind of takes in communication and communication interactions and what they glean from those things. Again, culture feeds into all of that. So a main thing that we'll talk about throughout the course of the semester is how does culture influence what we talk about, how we talk about it with others, and how much grace should we have when we're speaking with someone that's maybe from a culture that's different from ours? Again, could be a workplace culture, classroom culture, regional culture, etc. I want to close out here this supplemental lecture by talking about a couple of different things. First is competency and communication. Second is mindful communication. The book touches on both of these very briefly. So I want to run down what generally makes a communicator competent. The first thing is they're skillful at recognizing situational cues. Ideally, competent communicators identify the best way to present their message appropriately and effectively. And they're also adaptable. They adapt their message based on environment or audience needs. They can adapt their message for formal or informal situations. They can include jokes. They can be serious. This is a competent communicator or generally a sign of a competent communicator. Sometimes competent communicators can be persuasive. They can persuade their audience, whoever that might be, to become more involved or they understand their audience by empathizing with them. They also adjust their level best understood. They adjust their message, pardon me, to a level that's best understood by the audience. This is called cognitive complexity, and that's a psychological characteristic that indicates the difficulty or simplicity associated with mental demand. Right now, my cognitive complexity is obviously very, very low because I'm stuttering and stumbling and all of that. But the reality of it is you don't want to walk into a kindergarten classroom and try to engage them in conversations about Costco's financial performance in their most recent quarter. You're going to get a lot of blank stares, just like you wouldn't want to talk to another adult in kind of kid speak. So basically meeting your audience where they're at, that's what makes them a competent communicator. And competent communicators self-monitor verbal and nonverbal communication. Some are better at it than others. And especially as far as it pertains to nonverbal communication, we talked about that unintentional communication. Well, competent communicators are much more likely to accidentally unintentionally communicate something they don't mean. As far as mindful communication, when we talk about mindfulness, we're really talking about three things, observing, describing, and acting aware with awareness. So are we observing our own communication tendencies and the communication tendencies of those around us? 
Are we capable of describing these things? And are we capable of acting with this awareness? There are some people, and friends of mine even, that will observe one thing, but are still incapable of acting with that particular awareness. They'll see someone that's sad and maybe not react appropriately, even though they know, hey, that person is sad. So mindful communication is really just interacting with others while having that awareness and then practicing also your communication on a routine basis. This is an essential component of competent communication. Mindfulness is a huge buzzword now, not only in the business world, but if you listen to any self-help podcasts or anything like that, mindfulness comes up time and again but it's really just a matter of being aware of yourself your own communication practices and your own communication skills also acknowledging your own communication shortcomings and practicing to make those better all right so that's pretty much it for this particular lecture that brings to a close at least this particular ancillary or auxiliary lecture. Let's preview next week. We'll talk about chapter two, which is an overview of interpersonal communication in a little more detail than we were able to go into in chapter one. We'll talk about the process of interpersonal communication. So what that looks like with senders, receivers, interference, context, all of that good stuff. One important thing to note about next week is that there are two assignments due. The first is discussion post number one. We'll talk about that more in class next week and also on D2L. But what I need you to know is that discussion post number one, the first half of that post will be due by Thursday and then the response post will be due next Sunday, which would be the 25th and 28th respectively of January. And the topic check number two will be due on D2L January 28th at 11.59 p.m. All right, so that's it for this week one supplemental lecture. I hope you all have a great week. Please feel free to give me feedback if you want to see something, hear something a little bit different. If you're accessing it on podcast or video format, please let me know if you'd prefer something a little bit different or an additional couple of materials there. Happy to oblige. And uh, we'll be back here next week. Thank you so much.